welcome to Out to Lunch, the podcast where I take a fascinating person to a top restaurant for a lavish meal and maybe a bottle or two. It's surprising what people will tell you over the dining table. It's where I've had the best conversations of my life. Probably the best experiences, in fact. Today, I'll be sat across from a comedian, broadcaster and novelist. The man behind three lines, it's David Baddiel. There were something like 5.6 million downloads of Three Lions, from which we would have earned collectively £837 or something. So for this episode of Out to Lunch, I've decided to take my cue from David Baddiel's love of going for an Indian. Although this is no ordinary one, we've come to Mayfair and a very fancy Indian restaurant called Tamarind. It's got a Michelin star and everything. Come on in, I think it's going to be good. Yeah, well, see, it's nice, isn't it? Uh, you get a little room with a studio. We create a studio for yeah. you, specifically yeah. for you. Wow. So when we send out, you know, emails and all that sort of stuff to people to say, are there any dietary requirements? Mm. Yeah. Normally they come back with, don't eat eggs, mm. uh, don't eat avocados, that mm. was one. Mm. You mm. came back with really like high-end sushi. You have mm. been trying to refine the great steak that I once had. <laughs> Not so sure about posh Indian, but we decided to annoy you on that. Yeah. We're in no, seriously yeah. posh Indian. That's fine. So food is a thing. Mm. It matters. You know, it's a thing. We've had a bit of a spat. It wasn't okay. a terrible spat. Uh, Compared to the spats that we get into with other people. Oh, God, no, yeah, no, not at all. But let's discuss it. Our, spat, our was... spat was about this. Now, for a very brief time, uh, I was writing restaurant reviews for the Sunday Times. Right about when Aegil oh, yeah. died, uh, they asked me, they had a few people. They, it was a sort of a, have I got news for you thing where we'll have guest reviews for a bit before they settled on the brilliant Marina yeah. O'Loughlin, uh, who is much better at that job than I am. My pr- primary thing was not food, of course, uh, even though I like food and I am somewhat obsessed with food, which is why I'm doing this podcast, but I was on many <laughs> interested... That's to do with my company, it's just purely to have the yeah, lunch. Yeah, you know, the free lunch is, yeah. is a big deal. Uh, uh, but I wanted to write, you know, as I always do, mainly to amuse rather than to necessarily say anything uh, deeply intelligent about food. And I think I began one review. I think it was of an Indian place. I think it was um, Cricket, spelt with a K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'd gone, I'd gone there with Edgar Wright, the film director, okay. who told me his dream job was being a food reviewer, a yeah. restaurant reviewer. This is a bloke who's a Hollywood film director. Yeah. But he told he me made, he made um, Shaun of the Dead and most recently he just Baby made Driver. Baby Driver. And I think I began that review by saying, perhaps provocatively, although I hadn't thought about it really, uh, really anyone can be a food reviewer. Uh, and my point was, I mean, again, it's really a comic point, mm. is that almost any other thing you don't have to do. You don't have to go to the cinema, you don't have to go to the opera, you don't have to go to mm. the theatre. You have to eat three times a day or you die. So therefore everyone has a, you know, what everyone is skilled in food at some level. Uh, now, not everyone goes to these kind of places, mm. but my point was that was that we can all say, mmm, tasty or not about food. Did, did I then argue back that you'd missed the point of what the job was? I think I think so. And also, because there was some other much less uh, respected than you reviewer online who got really cross with me about it. And what I really loved about it was he quoted me saying that and then said something about this is David Baddiel uh, looking like a seven-year-old trying to play Rachmaninoff's uh, sonata in D-flat minor. Rachmaninoff 
never wrote a sonata in D-flat minor, minor. <laughs> which is what I really loved about that. In his attempt to be posh and clever, he got his reference of crap. Yeah, his references were crap. Yeah. I think my point was that people misunderstand the job, that actually it's irrelevant what I know about the food, although I know my stuff. Mm. It's that it's a writing job, not an eating job, and it's right. how it's written, and that's the point, right. so that not everybody could do it. Yeah, well, in that case, mm. I would claim to be entirely able to do it, because I am a writer. Because you are a writer. Yeah, but I don't oh. think I know that much about food. That's the thing. I like food. And <laughs> you I should know... see the number of emails that start that way. <laughs> yeah, but when I read you, yeah. or Marino or Lachlan, I think, well, these are very good writers, but I do also get a sense that there's a sort of knowledge about food that I don't know if I would ever have. No, I, I don't think it's, it's necessary. The knowledge is obviously you have to know stuff. Yeah. But I think specifically it's about being able to work out what the angle is for a piece around food. Yeah. I mean, the reason I said that I'm not that keen on posh Indian, the nicest Indian food I ever had was not a posh place. It was a place near me called Dars. My general feeling with Indian food yeah. is that I've had my nicest Indian food either in India, yeah. uh, where it's generally very cheap, uh, or in fairly robust sort of places like that that don't feel airs and graces its E. Um, well, this, this is about as cheap as it can get for you. What, tamarind? Oh, yeah, no, what, what, eating with you? Yes, yeah. that is cheap. It's, it's exceedingly cheap. <laughs> yeah. There's a menu. That is a menu there. Okay. So, do you, are you going to order? Because All I right. do trust you. Right, this is Avin. Hello, Hello. nice to meet you. I'm David. Same here, Sam. Thank you. Right, we'll have the chat. Yes, please. And the scallops. Scallops. The crispy lobster. The lobster. The chili goat ribs. The black pepper chicken tikka. Black pepper chicken tikka. The lamb curry. And the dal. And kind of a salty lassie. Yes. I should say, I, I have a curry every Tuesday night after I play football. And in 30 years, normally, of that, I've never had a beer. Everyone else has a beer. I have salty lassie, which still confuses everyone else I play with who are all not Jewish. Give him a salty lassie. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, he'll know where he is. It will root him. Nan, would you like plain butter or garlic? Garlic sounds quite nice. I'll have plain. Plain, not garlic. Seeing a friend later. Yes, well, I'm, I'm being inducted into the Royal Society of Literature later. So can I be smelling of garlic? You're being inducted into the Royal Society of Literature? Oh, yeah, yeah. Did they send you a letter out yeah, of the well, blue? Actually, saying... what happened was, I got a thing from a woman who works there saying, Marina Warner, I think she's head of the Royal Society of Literature, wants to send you a letter. And I wrote back saying... Anytime. Well, no, I wrote back saying, have I done something wrong? Because instantly I thought, I assumed <laughs> something bad had happened and that I'd been caught out. Imposter syndrome had finally been caught out. Like I was being expelled from literature. And she said, no, 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 they haven't done something wrong. It's, it's a good thing. And then, uh, But didn't tell me by email. I had to see it on the nice creamy paper that I was going to become a fellow of the Royal Society of Literature. So that's quite exciting. It's very exciting, and really, congratulations. It's a curious thing, though. Um, so you've written... They're always described in different ways. Mm. Um, I think it's one of, one of the wiki entries says he's written four novels and six children's books. Mm. And I keep wanting to shout, they're all novels! They are all novels. That's true. They are all novels. Um, although, yes, I wouldn't want children to read most of my adult novels, uh, not no, just because they're not understandable. You know, there's a certain amount of... Sex. Masturbation in yeah. time for bed. Anal sex as anal well. Anal sex Yeah, as there's well, quite yeah. a lot. This whole chapter about anal sex. There is. I was very influenced by Philip Roth and John Updike when I wrote, <laughs> wrote the, that book. I'm proud of I it. I love Time for Bed. No, thank you. I'm very proud of Time for Bed. I think it's a very funny book. What happened with that, to some extent, was I'd written four novels, 
two of which sold very well. Time for Bed and uh, Whatever Love Me sold yeah. very, very well. Then I went full literary with my third novel, which is called The Secret Purposes, which is about the internment of Jewish-German refugees on the, the Isle of Man, Man, which is what happened to my grandfather. But it's a serious novel, historical novel, with no comedy in it. That didn't sell so well. Um, it's good, I think. It's a good book, but it didn't sell so well. And then my fourth novel, The Death of Eli Gold, I think by then, I mean, I really think that's my best novel, but... To be honest, what happened with that one was it got some brilliant reviews, some really brilliant reviews, but then a real stinker in The Guardian. And I think what I thought at that point is it's not true that one writes just to write. One wants to be read. And if you're writing literary fiction, it's kind of you won't be read unless you get good reviews in the... Thank you very much. My Your salty, salty latte has arrived. Should I try this before I, I think you should. On? Yeah, it's got a little sort of powdery thing on it. What is that? What is the powdery thing on it? See, why I love flowers. Oh, it's a flower. It's very nice. Excellent. It's very nice, and it's up there with the standard on Holloway Road, where I have a salty lassie every Tuesday, Tuesday night. Right? Every Tuesday, I have a pint normally. A pint of lassie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> do you have it in two halves, or do you just get it in no, one? They always bring it to me straight away. I mean, it's the nearest place I have in London, the standard on Holloway Road, to your fa- your, your usual table, sir. So that book, Death of Eli Gold, came out, and uh, I thought, oh, this is kind of kill. kill I mean, you know, to be honest with you, the secret purpose is. That's your third book, the one about internment on on the Isle of Man. But actually, on that note, which has kind of at least a restaurant element to it, um, when I did Who Do You Think You Are, which I did in the first series, I was the Jew in the first series, they always have a Jew because they like a bit of Nazi stuff. They cut out the uh, the fact that I knew all about the Isle of Man because they like to pretend that people don't know what the journey they're about to go on. What I didn't know was that uh, they, they thought they... Not sure whether it really was, but they'd found where my grandfather lodged on the Isle of Man because for people who don't know um, what the British did was in 1941 they put all Germans, 98% of whom were German Jewish refugees, on the Isle of Man because there was a kind of tabloid inspired panic about Germans in right. Britain and they just assumed people were so shocked by the way that Germany had gone through Europe, they assumed there were fifth columnists abroad in France and Holland and all these places and must be in Britain as well. And Churchill reacted to that panic by saying, in, uh, collar the lot, and arrested and interned all Jewish-German refugees and a few actual right. Nazis and put them on the Isle of Man, including my grandfather. So we found where my, we thought my grandfather was supposed to have been kept, which was just literally, you know, would have been a B&B at the time. And now it's a disused Chinese restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> and what was brilliant about that, and you can still see it somewhere if you get hold of it, is I go into a meltdown on finding this because I've sort of spent the whole show finding rubble like I go to this place in um, Kaliningrad, where my mother's from, and I find you know some rubble of the house that these are, whatever. And then I go to the Isle of Man, and I find this filthy—I mean, literally, there's cartons everywhere and menus everywhere. And I say, I imagine that Ian Hislop now, because he was on there, is at some manor house uh, in like Wiltshire, and saying, "Oh, it's exactly the same as it was in the 17th century when my great grandfather lived here. How wonderful!" And I said, "But if you come from refugee stock." Everything you find is like this, either burnt or rubble or just a mess. And was, that the, was that the final, you know, the stick that broke the camel's back when you got to this Chinese restaurant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, you can see me sort of losing it, saying, you know, I thought this would be a lovely experience, retracing the steps. You wanted a stucco bed and breakfast looking out over yeah. the sea. Yeah, here I am in the... the lovely property that my grandparents and my great-grandparents used to own and I could feel how their footsteps would have walked through these panel corridors. No, here is a shit Chinese restaurant because it's all people fleeing. 
So either it's rubble or it's things that have been taken over or left or whatever, or just disused and discarded stuff. Um, the reason I brought up the secret purposes is I remember being interviewed by a journalist, a journalist called Matthew Weiss, I think his name was. He was very nice about the book, lovely about the book, about the secret purposes. And he said, well, this, this will just win the Wingate Prize. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Wingate Prize is a prize for Jewish fiction to do with Jewish themes. It didn't get nominated, right? And then I just thought, okay, so I do have a problem here. Oh, what have we got here? This is the Rajasthani Churi Chart. Brilliant. Tell us what it is, Arvind. So this one uh, comes from Rajasthan, northern part of India. And Churi means crumbled. So this is like a deconstructed chart. So it's a crumbled uh, of wheat crisps and the corn crisps. And uh, it's a category of street food which always have a different chutneys. So it has a combination of mango and chili, mint and coriander, and then sweetened yogurt to balance it. So and under, underneath is a sort of puri element of it, the uh, a, cr a crisp wafer that yes. it all sits on. Yes. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. So at that point, I became straightforwardly disenchanted, I think, with writing the kind of books I was writing, even though I think those are good books. But, you know, in terms of the, oh, you know, you just write for your art, never mind. I just thought, no, I'm not just writing for my art. And it just so happened that at the same time, my son gave me an idea for a children's book. Was it simple as that? Yeah, he, well, he didn't give me, I mean, he, gave, he said something which gave me an idea, um, which led to the parent agency, which was my first children's book. Which sold enormous numbers. Well, that's, that's the point. It's like... My children's books now sell... I've sold over a million and a half children's books. And um, that is brilliant in lots of ways, and obviously brilliant financially and all that stuff, but it also brought something home to me, which is, of course, I am struggling against all sorts of preconceptions, you know, with the literary fiction and with novels and whatever, and you do have these gatekeepers with that stuff that's very hard to get past. You don't really have that with children's books. It's a very, very direct relationship with your audience. No, there, there are no gatekeepers. It's, it's the kids who like it. Yeah, kids like it or they don't like it. They tell their friends in the playground. I mean, you do have kids reviewers, but they don't matter. You and know. also, kids are discerning. Yeah. If the book's not readable, they won't bloody read it just to make somebody feel better. No. Do you think you'll go back to writing, writing adult books? Adult books. I've just signed a deal for four more children's books. Well, you'll um, clearly be writing some more children's books. Yeah. So. Um, but I... I would like to write another adult book at some point. Um, I just don't know quite the moment when I'll find the time, and I don't have a burning idea for one. I, want to go, I do want to go back. I know Sorry. you want to talk about it. I'm going to go back. So you've described your upbringing as lower middle class. Well, you did go to Haberdashers. I was a direct so, grant student at Haberdashers. Uh, so that, that was one of those rare it's one things. Of those, it's one of those things that, although I did go to private school, my education for, was almost, I think, 98% paid for by the state because when I got into Haberdashers, on a scholarship anyway, my dad had been made redundant and we had no money at all. And so it was means tested as a direct grant thing. And so the state paid for my education, even though it was a private school. Was that a tricky experience? Because that school was full of really wealthy kids. Yeah, it was quite tricky. Hang on a sec, we have food arriving. It was tricky. Is this still starters? It is. That was very Things nice, will just arrive in... That was nice, uh, the uh, thing. <laughs> the thing, the yeah. chat. Yeah. We just had two scallops in the shell. There's a, a lentil sauce with a hint of coconut. And I got some naan also to... Thank you. So this is a good example of what I mean by posh Indian food. Are you telling me they don't do this on the Holloway Road? No, they don't do this. This is for people who cannot be with us 
and I'm just listening to this. Uh, this is an actual scallop in a shell with a lentil sauce. So one of the, um, and this is uh, this is terrible. I'm, I'm just curious about it. The, the old Thank you. things that were was said to my ear a lot was you're just a bunch of bloody comedians, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the curious thing is you, yeah, Matt, Matt Lucas, Sasha Baron Cohen, Sasha Baron Cohen, and a few others, actually. and a few others, yeah. Um, is there anything that about that school that inspired a career in comedy? The primary thing is North London Jewishness. You know, there's actually loads and loads of Jews in English, in British comedy, yeah. but it's only very recently that it's become clear that that's a sort of thing, I think. But there's all, but, you know, there's always been like Ben Alton, Alexi Sale, Stephen Fry, you know, uh, it's just they don't tend to identify Whereas as Jewish. 1989, The White Horse in Clapham. Yeah. One of your early stand up gigs. I think one of your gangs right at the top, and I'm probably going to get it wrong slightly, was, you know, um, my mother was always very involved with my status. If I fell in the canal and was drowning, my mother would stand on the edge and say, Come quick, come quick, my son, the Oxford graduate, is drowning. Cambridge. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's not a bad, not a bad <laughs> attempt to, to remember a joke from 1989. Yes. You, what you should know is, it, is yeah. I nicked it from a Portnoy's complaint. Because <laughs> yeah. it's an old, and Portnoy's complaint, I think, nicked it from an old j- joke. Um, but you, that's the thing, you were, you were out and proud. I was out and proud as a Jewish comedian, definitely, yeah, definitely. In fact, uh, when I was in Footlights, the Cambridge Footlights, I was doing stand-up in Cambridge Footlights, which most people didn't do. And I, in the Cambridge Footlights review of 1986, I did two stand-up monologues one about masturbation and one about being Jewish and some would say nothing has changed <laughs> yeah. it's, all yeah. been it's all been the same since but you were kind of set on a, an academic career but at what point did you decide no actually academia is not well the truth is I was first, you, were, you were quite clever David yeah I got a double first at Cambridge uh, and then to be honest with you I wanted to be a comedian I'd done comedy in Footlights and enjoyed it and thought this is great and lots of people seemed, seemed to be a burgeoning time for comedy and I'd been to the comedy store as well and whatever but I didn't have any money because as I say not from a wealthy background couldn't certainly not supported by my parents so I went on the dole um, and started doing comedy and then couldn't really survive on that so I thought oh I know what I can do I've got a first so at that point ah. you could get a grant uh, to live uh, so I went to UCL and started doing my PhD really for financial reasons I mean I was interested as well and probably looking back on it well certainly looking back on it there's no question if I hadn't been successful as a comedian I would have been an academic how far did you get? oh I, I wrote 90% of that PhD I wrote 90% of that PhD, and I sometimes think I should publish it for my dead grandmother, who was always, David, please publish your PhD, you'll be Dr. Badil. But I now would have to go back and rewrite it enormously because it's kind of academically out of date and whatever. But 90% of a... I mean, and for anybody who doesn't know, a PhD thesis is... We're talking book length. It's a book book length. It is a book. Uh, You went beyond... Seductive Innocence, Victorian Sexuality and the Little Girl by David Badil. Why did you stop? Because I become a successful comedian by then and had no need of it. So, we, so were you already performing with Rob Newman and the Mary Whitehouse experience while well, writing a PhD thesis? Yeah, yeah. On, well, I, I left university in, in '86. Uh, I probably joined UCL, I think, in '87, and by 1990, the uh, BBC Two pilot of Mary Whitehouse experience was on TV. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. 
Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. So is this the black pepper yes. chicken tikka? Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. You eventually dealt with fame in one of your live shows, but you became famous bloody quickly, bloody young. Um, not really. Not compared to now, I don't think. Uh, well, I, well, when, when I became, all right, Mary Whitehouse experience ends I'm up twenty six. You're twenty six. All right. I don't think that's really young. I mean, it's quite young, but I don't think it's like pop stars or reality show stars can become like super famous super quickly now in ways that I think are very destabilizing having said that that lots of people I know have become very destabilized by becoming famous I would say one of the things about me is that I'm very me is that I have a sort of incredibly strong wearying I would say sense of who I am uh, and you've said there's no there's no other performative version of you. No, there's just you. It's just me. Yeah. Um, and really, I've sort of monetized in a way an ability to be myself. And so, fame, which that show was about, really, that show was about what it's like having a very strong sense of self and then seeing another version of yourself projected out there and in people's minds because that happens with fame. Erica Young said that uh, the more famous you are, the more people will get you wrong, uh, and that's completely correct, I think. And so that that show was about that, because what I think about my own fame is that although it did lead to a version of me that wasn't, or you know, definitely not absolutely correct out there and involved misconception, I myself didn't change at all as a result of being famous. The only thing that has changed me ever in my life, really, is having children. I mean, I think you've said that you are far less famous now than you were. Uh, you know, I, I said in that show there are two things that famous people don't talk about. One is being famous, and the other is not being as famous as I used to be. And those are the two things I very much examined in that show. Strangely, I would say I am more famous now than when I did that show. <laughs> uh, because although I was probably the white heat of my fame was like in the 90s or whatever. When you were with Rob. When I was Rob, and then with Three Lions and all the rest of it. Uh, I think that there's been a sort of recalibration where I'm definitely not as famous as I was then, but I think social media and various other things that I've done, including the return to stand-up, has sort of put me back a bit in the public consciousness. Certainly there are people, and the children's books, which is the most extraordinary thing really, is that I now meet lots of children who have really no idea uh, of this backstory, but know me like that. In fact, I can tell you a quite, a, I think, quite a funny story about that. We like funny stories. It's a funny, funny story. story. I heard a story from a bloke who just wrote to me on Twitter saying that his 10-year-old son does not believe or didn't believe that the same person who wrote his favourite books is the same person who sung Football's Coming Home, which is his favourite song. He can't, the cognitive dissonance is too much. And so what he did was he sat him down, his son, and played him Three Lions. And then he said that when the second verse, which is my verse, kicked in, his son looked up and went, oh, yes, is that him speaking now? <laughs> which I think is a very good description of how I sing that second verse. When you look at all of this, yeah. one of the biggest comedy gigs at that point, I mean, I think people have bested you now, but you did mm -hmm. the, with Rob. It was the first ever British arena comedy show. 12,000 people. Yeah. It was so successful, you immediately had to split up because mm. you hated each other yeah. by that point. Yeah. Um, the books, uh, social media. Is there any plan? Has there ever been any plan 
No, not really. Um, and people like me, who, who often get asked to look back on their careers or whatever, well, they get asked if they have any regrets, they always say, I'll do it all again exactly the same way. And I always think, what are you talking about? If you're actually offered that opportunity, why not admit that you clearly made mistakes? Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone's life, really, any thinking person, should be plagued by regret. Um, and I am very happy with what I've had, but I would certainly do things differently. I see myself as a storyteller, really, and I think I've can parlay that into many different forms but it hasn't always worked for me and in the 90s I was offered quite a lot of film things and I should have followed those through more because I think writing or performing well I was offered Time for Bed was offered uh, to direct and write the screenplay of Time for Bed and you said no well it's a long long story I didn't really say no it was a management fuck up the road's not taken that I would have liked to have taken but at the same time it's an unbelievably privileged Existence. One of the things that does seem to have defined you is a brilliant talent for a row. Mm. Social media has, mm. has become a Yeah, but platform. that's a weird thing, though, isn't it? Because it took me a while to spot what, were you, what was actually going on, which is to say, and we can mention this because you're going on tour, and yeah. you probably would like people to know. I, I don't know when it was, maybe six or nine months ago, that something you said, maybe we go, oh, for fuck's sake, that's what he's doing that it's now become a brilliant source of material by which, or, or you can sit at your computer and you can plumb the depths of people's yeah. weirdness <laughs> and depravity and illogical arguments and, hey, presto, there's a show, and all you need to do is keep screenshotting <laughs> those. Well, it, it's a bit more than that, hopefully. Yeah, right, hopefully. Right. Although, although, actually, I, that's one of the challenges for the show, is you could, to some extent, just read out all this stuff, and it would definitely, it is funny and amazing, and, but you need to find a way of, uh, find a narrative through mm. it and a journey through it or whatever, and also quite a lot of self-questioning through it. I mean, actually, I noticed this yesterday. Um, so just to, for people who don't know what we're talking about, yeah, true. I'm doing a show which would be the third in my uh, series of shows. So since I came back to doing live performing, I've done a show called Fame, Not the Musical, which we've talked about, a show we haven't talked about, which is called My Family, Not the Sitcom. We have talked about My Family, but not that show, which is a sort of revelatory show about my mum's infidelity and my dad's dementia which was very successful and which actually I had to stop doing because it became... It became your full-time job, practically. And also I was doing it all over the world. I I did it in Canada, I did it in Australia, I've been asked to do it on Broadway. And that is interesting because I think, like, oh, God, this is a hit, but I don't want to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it because otherwise it'll become one of those things where that's what he does is that one-man show, you know. Um, So I'm doing a new show, which is called Trolls, Not Not the the Dolls, Dolls, having made the Not the Thing a bit of a brand. And yes, is about my adventures on social media. And that was not originally uh, something that I designed to do uh, at all. It was just I noticed very early on, oh, this is, you get lots of abuse on this medium. And of course you do in a way, because of course people are furious about people being more famous and more successful than them. And suddenly you've put yourself in the firing line because you're at the mercy of everyone on this thing. And my reaction to that with whatever hurt it might originally have engendered went away quite quickly because I thought, oh, they're hecklers. That's what they are. It's the same thing as when you go on stage at a comedy club essentially saying, I'm the funniest one in the room. Men, in particular, really hate that and start wanting to shout you down and then you have to be cleverer than them again. So and when you were doing stand-up, did you have a set of go-to no, responses no, to I, I knew, I knew that I knew some standard ones, but I rarely used them, actually, because people in comedy clubs... You get used to everybody down, doing And they got looked down. Other comedians would look down on you for using them. I talk about this in the show. In the show, I talk about how 
in improvisation, the rule is always yes and. So you should always, so if you say, you, know, you don't block the thing, you don't the block idea the thing. That if you say, it. if you're in a sketch and I say, I'm a dentist, you say, uh, okay, please, could you drill my teeth? Please, could you drill my teeth? You don't say, what are you talking about? I thought you were a chartered surveyor. That's blocking, right? So it's always build on the thing that you say. And I say with heckling and heckle put downs, it's sort of that, but it's yes, but. So instead of saying, like people sometimes do on social media, no, how dare you say this about me? That's sort of blocking. You agree with what the person says. An example on social media, for example, someone had seen something uh, and said, I, oh, I, I read this about you and liked it. And then a, a troll said, the only thing I want to read about you is your obituary. And I said, well, at least I'll get one, mate. And you see what I'm doing there is I'm saying yes to him whilst making him look like a cunt at the same time. I presume you're allowed to use that word. It's a know. podcast. You can use yeah. it, all the words. Yeah. So when I thought, when I thought about how, how did, where did this come from, because I think you will find that almost all heckle put downs are this thing of like sort of agreeing with them but, but subverting them at the same time. I just remembered the first time I compared the comedy store. And obviously you might get people shouting all sorts of things. And I did some joke about sex and a big drunk bloke at the front shouted out, um, it's better from behind. And I found myself saying to him, yes, a bit like your face. <laughs> and that's like very childish. But again, it agrees with him and then turns it, it on his face. Yeah, on his face. And now a word from our sponsor, which in this case is me. I've got a new book out. It's called My Last Supper, One Meal, A Lifetime in the Making, in which I attempt to answer the one question I've been asked most often, what would my last meal on earth be? I go out in search of the ingredients. It does include pig. And I tell the stories behind them. It's available now in hardback, ebook, and audio formats. And I'm also on tour with a live show based on the book. For tickets and info, visit jrayner.co.uk. And now back to Out to Lunch. So go trips, it's uh, glazed with a tamarind and kokum, and these are very slow cooked on charcoal bread. Really yeah. look delicious. They do. Uh, I'm going hands in on these. So if you've got any yeah. wet wipes or anything, yeah, sure, I do have. Yeah. <laughs> I think of you, Jay, as someone who goes a lot in your reviews for the kind of smoky barbecued goatee, you know. Well, it's, a, it's kind of oh, actually they're quite they're quite forkable. I do a bit. I am a carnivore, even though I'm, I talk properly about non-meat cookery. And we've got to engage with it, and I mean it. Yeah. But so then if somebody says chili goat ribs. Up, I am but a man. You know, it's going to happen. Yeah, and now I find it very difficult as well, even though, I mean, this is going to sound hypocritical to your listeners, so I apologise in advance. But I genuinely believe, intellectually, that we should all be vegans. I genuinely believe that in 100 years' time, the way that we slaughter animals on an industrial level will be thought of as a type of genocide. Right. Um, however, and my daughter is vegan, and I think, you know, everything about that is right. I just really like the taste of meat. Oh my. <laughs> Our life is terrible because the crispy lobster is just terrible. Oh, crispy lobster, look at that. Those are two words. Wow. Aren't they? Crispy lobster, I mean, I don't think I've ever had crispy lobster. Have you not? Well, what a sheltered life you've led. I've never had a lobster curry, I don't think. So I was like, go to cheap curry places. It looks very nice. Now you're doing the show. Yes. I mean, have you stopped collecting material? No, 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 no. Every day there's something. So is, are you going to try and refresh all the time as it goes on? Yeah, um, definitely. And I'll get trolled during the show. So are you planning this time to use a live stream from Twitter? No, actually, no, no, no. What, what I probably will do is um, I will allow, I will say to the audience, 
do troll me in the interval, but also if I have actually been trolled on Twitter, I will definitely bring it up uh, in the second half. With your live shows, you're essentially mining your life, your yeah. own life. Yeah. So is, is this a feature of getting enough life under the wheels that it becomes self-supporting? With comedy, I always say, okay, well, don't think to yourself, if you want to be a comedian, what is it that the world thinks is funny? What's in the community chest of funny? Because then you end up with jokes about, you know, nerdy train spotters or whatever. You have to think about what is it that is funny about my own life, my own voice, my own way of looking That's at That's an actual thing that you, you encourage people to do, to yeah. turn around, look internally because, on themselves. Yeah, because my, I, I think my thinking is that paradoxically, the more specific you are to your individual life, the more likely you are to chime with people out there. Um, I think it's the last, the last awesome. round. Thank you. Thank you. Is that the go? Is that what is that? That's the lamb curry. Are we having that? Yeah, that looks good. <laughs> Football has been a recurrent theme in your life. Yeah, it's provided you with a great song. A great song. Yeah. Um, royalties, apart from not that many royalties during the 2018. People go on about it about the royalties. Honestly. You don't make money from music anymore. Well, you did back in the day, surely. In, a bit, but, but it's gone to number one four times. And the last time I had to endure, because now it's lots of social media, lots of blokes in particular saying, oh, royalties this, royalties that. Eventually, I put on Twitter, someone wrote a piece about it in The Observer or Guardian, I think, about exactly how much money it would have made. And on something like the England-Columbia game... There were something like 5.6 million downloads of Three Lions, from which we would have earned collectively £837 or something. I mean, really, it's not a lot of money. I mean, it's terrible because I'm okay, but for young people trying to start yeah, a music sure. business, that's fucking ridiculous. But it's more important, isn't it, that you, um, given your, your love, adoration of football, that you actually were one of the co-writers of the key song yes, for English obviously, football. Yes, obviously that is very important. Yeah. That's very important. Um, I actually think what was really interesting about these two dishes is that they're very much more familiar mm. from... From the Holloway Road yeah, place. Yeah. Holloway Road. Yes, they're a bit more like a standard curry, but it was very nice, and actually you rarely get... So with curry, I do really like curry on the bone, something you can get at Dars, this place I like very much, uh, around my way. But most of the time, when you have a curry, and you ask for chicken curry or lamb curry, it's not on the bone. And that's often a problem, I think, because it's the meat being a little bit, right. you know, not falling away. But it's more likely to be falling away while it's on the bone. So I think tamarind, where we are, have got it right there with that definitely having the lamb on the bone thing. I was very close. The one, the one point where good manners overcame me is I would normally pick up the bone and suck the bone marrow out. You could well, have done that. it would have sounded Was disgusting. there marrow? Yeah, there was marrow in the Oh, well, I would have done that too. Would you? Yeah. Mm, what, do you what do you fancy? Um, again, not something I usually have dessert in an Indian restaurant, but... Um, Gulab jamon, even here, I, it's just too sweet. Is I it just too well, sweet? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Here, it might not be. We serve it in a different way. So you, okay. It is sagwon, but we have it um, uh, uh, with a mandarin granita on the top. Perhaps we should try it. Well, let's do a gulab jamon and um, mm. makan malai. Malai. Yes. And we get put them in the middle in two sure. spoons, and we can share them. Could I have a coffee, please? Well, as well. Um, I'd like a flat white. Flat white, please. I'd like a large espresso, double espresso. Sure. Could I have Thank that you. with the dessert, please? I feel if I don't have dessert and coffee, I feel like a sentence without a full stop. 
And as a writer, that would pain you. Yeah, that would pain me, yeah. So you had fantasy football, it was on TV. Yes, fantasy football is a game, mm. you know, where you pretend to buy football players from different teams. You get a certain amount of imaginary money, you build an imaginary team, and how the actual players do in real life contributes to your score. OK. I was living with Frank Skinner. We were watching a lot of football, because we are both football fans. We'd sort of become friendly on the back of various watching various games. And I even remember saying, I don't think we could just put fantasy football the game on the telly, but we could build a show, uh, you know, around, comedy show around football, and then me and Frank went away and essentially just reproduced our home life on the telly. That's the Makan Malai. It is made of milk, but this, this one comes from Delhi. It's a particular region in Delhi, which is the old Delhi area where you can find this. It's quite light and foamy, okay. slightly uh, uh, different variation. They have it served on the lychee jelly with a little raspberry sorbet in the middle and some candied nuts on the top. Okay. And that's the gulab jamun. Still warm underneath, but on the top we have a mandarin granita, as you say, which balances the sweetness of the dessert. Thank you. And the coffee's on the way. Thank you very much. Thank you. I have to say, all the lychee and granita and stuff does actually soften the sweetness of that. Gulab jamun is normally ridiculously sweet. It's, it's type 2 diabetes in a bowl. Your mm. pancreas sends a letter of resignation as you start eating it. Yeah. Um, it's good that you said type 2 there. I'm very clear on type, the differences between type 2 and type 1. Yeah, because I am um, a good example. I did talk about this in the Fame show. No, in the My Family show. Um, of the way that uh, Twitter outrage will work is that uh, I was on Jonathan Ross's show um, and I told a joke that my son, my son is very, very funny. Um, and when he was about nine, he did this joke where uh, me and him were watching telly and the advert came on, Red Bull gives you wings. And Ezra said, and diabetes. And I said that on Jonathan Ross's show, and it got a big laugh, but then I got absolutely overwhelmed by people saying, no, bloody type 2 diabetes, what do you mean diabetes? Not lifestyle, go and learn about diabetes, blah, blah, You're blah. ignorant. Yeah. And then I pointed out, I pointed out in the show, that what these people therefore actually want is that my nine-year-old son should have said, Red Bull gives you wings and type That's 2 diabetes, <laughs> which seems a lot to expect. From a Yeah. <laughs> which is my, uh, my segue. <laughs> which would lead to definitely diabetes of all kinds. Indeed. It's my way of saying, uh, David Baddiel, thank you very much for letting me take you out to lunch. Thank you, Jay. Okay. It's been lovely. It has. It's been okay. terrific. Um, how does it compare to Holloway Road Curry House? Um, it's longer. It's better. Food is better than at the Holloway Road Curry House. It's not necessarily better than at Dars. <laughs> so Tamarin can now put that on their website. <laughs> yes. The food is better than a Holloway Road Curry House. <laughs> David Baddiel. Not better than Doss. We've <laughs> got to put the whole thing in, otherwise it's not true, Jay. And we know that truth is all. Yeah. Well, as we made clear, David Baddiel and I have known each other for a very long time. It's shameful to admit we went to the same school, but we've never known each other very well. So it really was a delight to get some time at a table with him, with some good food, and get him to open up and to talk seriously. He is a real, real talker. Uh, a little bit grumpy at times, but brilliant with it. And I think it was all there during our lunch. And one note, you may have read about a few employment issues at Tamarind. Uh, those were reported in the newspapers after we recorded this interview. If you're still hungry, you can find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts. And if you could give us a big fat five-star review and share us to your pals, it really helps others discover the show. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production. The music was written, arranged and performed by Jay Rayner and Robert Rickenberg. Sound recording was by Paul Brogdon. The mix engineer was Josh Gibbs. The assistant producer was Rosie Marotra. 
The producer is Selena Ream and the executive producer is Darby Doris. Additional production is from Steve Ackerman. Next time, it's political when I invite Birmingham Yardley MP Jess Phillips out for a spot of lunch. I've got to give out awards at a school in my constituency later, but I can think I think I can probably drink, I'll be fine by the way. Um, 